We're so glad that you joined us today for this podcast from Bishop Quentin Moore and the Father's House in Hutchinson, Kansas. God loves you and wants the best for you, and we want to hear what God is doing in your life. Share your story with us by sending an email to mystory@fathershouse.net. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at fathershouse.net slash give. Just select the option that works for you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Got your Bible? Seriously, you got a Bible? You got an iPhone? If you got an iPhone, there's no reason why you don't have a Bible. It's free. You can download it and they'll send you 9,800 versions and you can... It's true. I mean, it's all true. Uh, so if you got a Bible, just say with me, this is the Word of God to me. He is who He says He is. I am who He says I am. I can do what He says I can do. Open my mind, open my heart, and change me with your Word. Amen. Amen. I have a word from God for you. I pray you hear what God wants you to hear this morning. And you might have to edit out what it is I say in the midst of all that. But anyway, I'm going to go to Lamentations chapter 3. I'm going to go to the great prophet Jeremiah. I am caught with the great prophetic voices right now. I'm just, I just actually believe we're living on, if not the edge, the very prophetess of one of the greatest prophetic movements that's ever been in the body of Christ. Uh, and prophetic movement of God is not just foretelling the future. It's not just telling everybody's dirty laundry. When I was growing up, if you were a prophet, you called people out on their sin. Uh, I, I had a bad taste in my mouth over that. And it's, it's just not about fortune telling. It's more than that. It's about declaring the promises of God in this moment. And uh, we find the prophet Jeremiah, and he's in a bad spot. They're in captivity in Babylon. And in, in verse 21 of the third chapter, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, His loving kindness, His steadfast, loyal love, we are not consumed, for His compassions fail not. They are new, renewable, every morning. For great is your faithfulness. Say it out loud. Great is His faithfulness. Now, now say it like you really mean it. Great is His faithfulness. In a world that's so concerned about their own faith, I mean, I am 62 years old. I have grown up in the Word of Faith movement. I have listened to people talk to me. And if you have a little faith, great faith, you just had more faith. In a world that's consumed about their own personal faith, could I just say to you that I can't brag about my faith, but I can brag to you about the faithfulness of God. That in the midst of suffering and trouble, it isn't about how much faith you got. Because I got news for you. When you're going through stuff, it's hard to find faith in yourself. This prophet is sitting in the midst of the worst time Israel had ever experienced. The most troubling time. And he says, great is the faithfulness of God. No matter what's going on, no matter how it looks. And I got, you, I got to tell you in a minute, I'm going to read to you. In the first verses ahead of this, he didn't even sound very good. See, I think there's a lot of people trying to fix. They're trying to fix the problems of life. They're wanting a solution to it. And the reality of it is, is life doesn't need a fix. Life doesn't need to be, no, no. You see, life is an adventure. I have a grandson, and every time he comes to my house, he wants to go on another adventure. 
See, life is not a problem to be solved. It's an adventure to be embraced. No matter whether it's trouble or not trouble. I I am a big fan of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I think he's one of the greatest presidents that ever lived. And some of you are going to know this speech. He said, I have been convicted. I am, first of all, believe and assert that we have nothing to fear but fear itself. How many know that speech? I have nothing. Well, but the last of that line, which nobody really remembers, is nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes the needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. See, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was taking office in 1933, and he knew there was a lot to be afraid of. And yet he said, this is not a time to retreat. This is a time to advance. You see, great leaders, great prophetic people are able to face the fear of the moment, face the trouble of the moment, acknowledge that the giant is real, acknowledge that the mountain exists, acknowledge that the river is there, and yet be able to face it, not deny the fear, acknowledge that it's there, and find a way to advance instead of retreat. And find a way to go forward. Find a way... To operate in this environment in such a way that the gospel of God continues to bring converts into the kingdom of God. I've not seen a lot of that. I've seen people stuck. Jeremiah is sitting in the midst of the exile of Israel, the chosen people of God, sitting under the captivity of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. You see, the Bible is filled with two great stories. The salvation of Israel out of Egypt by Moses, and then the suffering that goes on by the people of God in captivity. Anybody that wants salvation without suffering is a complete non-theological person. Because God's people came out of captivity, salvation, and yet they suffered through the captivity of Babylon. You cannot have the glory of God without these moments of great trial and tribulation. In this world, you're going to have trial and tribulation. But in the middle of it, be of good cheer, for you will overcome because I've overcome. But that doesn't mean you're not suffering. You can't deny that this sucks. Did I get somebody's attention? I mean, I get it. I'm tired of it too with this social distancing, self-quarantined, I don't know, stay at home. I mean, one of these days we're going to look at masks completely differently than we did 12 weeks ago, right? We're going to have a whole different, and here is the prophet Jeremiah, and he said, this is bad. This is agony. This is hopeless. This is weak. This is, I mean, I'm in the middle of something. In fact, in verse 17, he goes, I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what it is to prosper. My splendor is gone. All that I had hoped for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wondering and my bitterness and my gale. And I well remember that my soul sinks in despair. Yet I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope. In the middle of the, mm, he said, I can change my mind. And listen, he said, I got to call my mind, meaning that my mind is out there running in junk, and I'm going to have to call something to my mind. How many of you are flooded with thoughts and none of them any good? 
have you ever had so much stuff just coming into your head and, and you're trying and none of it is worth thinking? And, and here he is in the middle of it, and he goes, I'm not good, it's not fun, I don't have blah, 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 blah. yet I call. One word says, I remember, therefore I have hope. I could talk to you about taking every thought captive, but I don't even have one I could catch that's worth catching. I'm, I'm trying to catch a firefly. I can't, no, I got to call something that's not even here. And I'm not talking about your thinking. I'm talking about your soul, your heart. As a man thinks in his heart, not his head. Down in your soul, a whole different way of looking and thinking and feeling in my emotions, in the center most part of my being. I've got to think not just with my head, but with, with something different. I've got to fix the glitches in this program. Graham says you've got to upload something. Download something. You got to reprogram because you haven't been programmed to go through this. Nobody, nobody saw this coming. And, and, and so there's got to be a different way of approaching this. Therefore, I have hope because, say because. because. I have hope because of the Lord's great love. It didn't say anything about your faith. Wow. Didn't say anything about your doctrine. Didn't say anything about how you worship. Didn't say anything about where you go, where you don't go, what you do, who you do. It doesn't say anything about that. It says, because of his great love, one word says loving kindness. We are not consumed for his compassions fail not. They are fresh, brand new, renewable every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. How is it you live in the midst of troubled, difficult times? You remember that he loves you and that he is faithful to always love you, no matter what the... It's about love, sweetie pie. Right, right, right. There is only one message. God is love and he never changes his mind. And this prophet said, listen, the best thing I can prophesy to you is that God has got a grip on you. And his grip is never going to let go of you that God is faithful. I am up to here with people talking to me about how much faith there is or there isn't. Ah, let me just assure some of you. God can do a little bit with your maybe. He can work with, man, my faith is lower than it's ever been. But great is his faithfulness towards me. This entire book is about his faithfulness. Paul writes, God is faithful in whom you were called into fellowship. He said, God is faithful who would not allow you to suffer beyond what he has given you the ability to bear. God is faithful towards you. His answers are not yes and no, but yes. Faithful is he who calls you and also will he do it. But the Lord is faithful who will establish and guard you from the evil one. This is one of my favorites, 2 Timothy 2, 13. If we are faithless, he continues to be faithful. Wow. When you are faithless, how many of you woke up this week and thought, ugh? How many got up this morning and went, ugh? I mean, even when you are faithless, you have screwed up. He remains faithful. Say with me, my God, my God. is faithful to faithless people. Maybe they died because they didn't have enough faith. No, honey, they didn't die because they didn't have enough faith. That is not why they died. Why did they die? I don't know. But I, uh, the question's too big for me. 
I got, I, I'm going to tell you, bad theologians are always trying to answer questions they don't really know the answers to. And they're messing up the whole world because they don't know. It's better to go, I don't know. Can I tell you, the older I get, the less I know. Now, the more I know Him, but the less I know. Well, even when we're faithless, He remains faithful. I love this piece where it says Sarah conceived. She was 90. She conceived because she considered him faithful who had promised. How about this? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all sins. Well, how many times you got to confess it? Honey, I have to confess it a lot. I got to confess that I need his faithfulness over and over again. It, it's silly to me. I ain't worried about how many times I confess it. it thank God he's not like grandpa. I told you last time I was going to whoop your butt. Yeah, every grandparent here is going, mm-hmm, but I ain't saying that. How many of you, I mean, I told you it's the last time that I'm, thank God God's not like that. He said, every time you confess your sin, he who says he has no sin deceives himself. So all the perfect people out there, you're in trouble. Sorry. If you confess your need for God's faithfulness. He's faithful and just to cleanse you. I, I, I love what Paul writes when he says, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it. Oh, for all of us that are about half-baked, there's hope yet. Have you ever met a half-baked Christian? Go home, look in the mirror. I'm telling you, I am very confident that each one of us are on a different journey of maturity. We're in a different place. The problem we have is we want everybody to be as mature as we are. That's our problem. Because fruit grows. Fruit ripens at different places and different times. And you don't ever want to look at somebody else's fruit and go, you know them by their fruit. Honey, you ain't got any. Of course you know them by their fruit. Listen, you don't get saved today and have great big watermelon in your yard tomorrow. I mean, I am so convicted. Every time Cat posts those beautiful tomatoes and those cantaloupes, I go out and look at my scrawny thing and go. There's a lot of you that go home and look at your fruit and go. I want to say, keep, just stay patient. We'll put manure around it. It'll get better. No, that's another sermon. I, some of you don't know where I went. God, Great. But see, nobody understands this word faithful. Not in America. We ain't faithful to nothing. I got news for you. The, the, the culture of the West, Europe and America, there's no such thing as faithful. Just, we're not faithful. And we don't know faithfulness because we don't understand the context. But I got news for you. Jeremiah understood the context of the use of the word faithful. You, you have to be Hebraic. You have to be ancient civilized. That, that was the early church was born into that ancient civilization of what it means to use the word faithful. Because everything they did didn't have a lot to do with attorneys or courts. Had to do with canon law. Had to do with blood covenant. We don't, we don't talk much about blood covenant. We don't understand that if two people wanted to enter into an agreement, they did it with a blood covenant. It was called brother making. 
And they would make promises to one another. They would debate about it and they'd come to decisions. And then they'd, they'd take a knife and they'd cut their wrist or they'd cut their fingers. And they'd, they'd, they'd mingle their blood and they'd put gunpowder on it so it'd create a scar. They didn't have rings. They'd cut a knife around it and then put gunpowder on it. It made a scar. I've watched them do it. It, 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 blood, it, 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 blood was thicker than milk. It's still used in the Islamic circles today. Blood is thicker than milk, meaning you could have shared the milk from the same mother, but if you went out and chose someone to be your blood brother, it was stronger than having been birthed into that family. It was the ultimate way of creating a bond. It was unbreakable. You couldn't get out of it. The only way out of it was to die. And they'd take an animal and they'd split that animal in two and that animal would fall open like that. Be all this blood and they'd walk the walk of blood. They'd walk a figure eight through this thing and one would go one way and one would go the other till that one was standing over there and this one was standing over here. Would walk that blood and would begin to swear an oath to one another. There's no way out. If you break this, you're dead. They would change names. It'd be Moore Faulkner, Faulkner Moore, that have the same name. From that moment on, they were called a friend. It wasn't Facebook. We have so devalued how many friends you got? 4,500? No, you got one, you. See, we, we devalued the word friend meant covenant. If you called someone friend, that meant that everything you had belonged to them, everything they had belonged to you. It meant down to my weapons. I fight for you, you fight for me, and to the death. And at the very end of it, they'd have a meal. That you give my bread. When you eat this bread, you're eating me. When I eat that bread, I'm eating you. I'm consuming you, you're consuming me. We're drinking in each other. We are now one being. We're united together by the bond of blood. And if you break that bond, may they do more to you than we did to this animal. May your bones be bleached. May the vultures suck up the blood. May your ashes blow with the wind. To be faithful to that. That spend the rest of their lives living out the faithfulness to that covenant. That live the rest of their lives. It was an action. You lived it. If the brother need, have a friend knock on the door, they need something to eat. I need. They lived in the bond of that. They understood the context of the word covenant loyalty, steadfast love, faithfulness. Ruth, I'll go where you go. I'll stay where you stay. Your people be my people. My God will be your God. And Ruth said, I ain't ever leaving Naomi. I married your son. I don't care if the son's died. When I married your son, I was joined to his family. Wherever you go, I'm going. You see it with Ruth and Naomi. It's, it's captured there. In the 15th chapter, right at the beginning of the book, God comes down and says, I'm going to make a covenant with Abraham. I'm going to covenant with you, Abraham. And so they got an animal and they split the animal and I'm going to make a brother, God making a brother out of a man. But it's a unilateral decision. God made the choice. And then he gave, he gave Abraham a sleeping pill and a glass of wine. And Abraham's laying over here about half out of it, sleepy, looking, gazed, looking through the fog. And here's the animal and the blood and the fire walks, the blood walk. Only one walked it. 
Abraham didn't walk it. God walked it for both of them. And the Bible says in Hebrews, he swore by himself because he could swear no other. This covenant depends on me and me alone. A.B. boy, you have nothing to do with it because we already know you're a screw up. You're going to sleep with, you're going to mess, you're going to do this. So this is my choice, my covenant. If anybody has to pay the price for it, I'll pay the price for it. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. Doesn't have anything to do with your doctrine. Doesn't have anything the way you do communion. Doesn't have nothing to do with your morality because we know it's bad. Had nothing to do with you. This has to do with me revealing to you that I love you. Listen, this will trash 90% of the gospel that's being preached in America today. It had nothing to do with you. He came and he made this covenant. He said, I'll never change. I'll, I'll never alter what I promised. It's, it's my promise to you. The crazy thing is that this was a pagan thing. This covenant making thing, killing things, that's pagan. That's the way men dealt with men. God chose this pagan thing, the ultimate of ancient society, and said, I'll use that to reveal to you who I am. I don't make the covenant so that I love you. I love you, so I'll make the covenant. It wasn't the covenant that made God love you. It was God's love for you that he chose to reveal to you through the covenant how great he is. Because of his loving kindness, he cut this covenant and promised to live on terms we would understand. So he gave us a law. Terms that we would understand. He knew you were going to break the law, therefore he gave you a covenant so that you could roll it away every year. He's already a loving God. He's already a kind God. This loving kindness. Abraham, we go down through years and God shows up with Moses and he helps Moses bring salvation to the children of Israel, to the people of God. And Moses is out there on the backside of the desert and he's tired of looking at a cloud and a fire and he goes, I want to see you. I want to see you. And God says, you can't see me. You can't see me yet. But, but, but I'll show you my goodness. I, I can't let you see me, but I'll tell you who I am. I am that I am, and I, I am. And in Deuteronomy chapter 33, he said, I'll proclaim my name to you, the Lord, Yahweh. I'll gracious to who I'm gracious to. I'll show mercy and loving kindness. Moses, I can't let you see me, but let me tell you who I am. I'm loving kindness. That's who I am. I'm the God that loves you. I'm the God that never changes. It's, it's who I am. People ask me all the time, you've got to quit preaching grace like that. It's who he is. How do I stop? He's merciful. How, how do I stop? I mean, I'm sorry. I don't want to get swallowed by a whale. Sorry. I'd rather not. I, it is who he is. I can't change it just because you're Baptist or Methodist or... Just because you got hoodwinked 250 years ago by sinners in the hands of an angry God. Just because you've been told that all your life doesn't mean it's true. The truth is he's gracious, he's merciful, he's loving kindness. Even to a thousand generations, he swears to his own hurt and he changes not. That's just the way he is. This, I mean, 
So now here's these children. Moses is leading them. They're coming through the desert. And the witch doctors and the dummies, they don't like it. So they hire somebody to curse them. And the guy goes, I can't curse them. They're God's people. God's people out here picking their nose. They don't even know it's, they ain't having a prayer meeting. They're just walking through a valley and the devil's trying to curse them. They're not even calling for prayer. And they, and, and, and they can't. Say with me, I'm his. He loves me. He, even in my own stupidity, he's protecting me. Can't be. I mean, this, this thing just... Deuteronomy 31, it's, it's wonderful. Deuteronomy 31, the Lord speaks and he says stuff like this. It is the Lord who goes before you. He'll march with you. He'll not fail you, nor let go of you. He, there'll be no cowardness, no flinching, no fear, no depression, no dismay, no being unnerved. I love what the Hebrew writer, I mean, it, the, the name of the book is Hebrew, but he wrote it in Greek. It's so interesting. And, 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 and the reason is because in the Greek language, you can say it, it gets really and he, go, he quotes Deuteronomy 31 and says, Himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not. I will not. I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, let you down, relax my hold upon you. Assuredly not. Five times he says, I will not, I will not, I'll not leave. The word leave is a sailing term. If you fall overboard, one sailor had told all the sailors that if you go overboard, I'll hold on to you and I'll not let go even if you make me drown. I won't let go of you. The word forsake means I won't reject. So I'll just go overboard with you. You can't sink and I'll never reject you. You'll never come home smelling like a pig and me go, oh no. Never reject. You know how many people we could heal that are sitting home today because they went to a church and they were rejected because they were smoking? Listen, I've been pastoring in this town 35 years, and I can remember people walk. I was 28 years old. Why did I know? I didn't know nothing. I didn't even know how to dry my hair. And they'd walk up to me. Somebody would show up in church, and they'd walk up, do you know they smoke? Do you know they're divorced? This is 35 years ago. I'd say, hey, why don't we let them serve on the board? Why don't we let them sing in the choir? Why don't we let them? They they smoke. I I preached a whole sermon about how I'd take 300 smokers over one gossip. The smokers stayed. (laughs) I populated churches in town with gossipers. He thinks divorced people can sing on the choir. It's horrible. Can I tell you, it isn't much different. You think they can live like that and go to heaven? You know how much goes on now about who's going to get in, who's not going to get in? Can I just tell you, you're going to be shocked if you get in. You know what hell is? Hell is that place where you restricted entrance. Hell is the place where you restricted entrance. Heaven is the place where he said, may no one perish. Oh, well, that was free. (laughs) I love that word, march. I'll march with you. Meaning, hey, this is a fight. I'll just, I'll just, I love, it's to your advantage if I go away, because if I go away, the comforter, the helper, all that's horrible. 
The, the word in the Greek is paraclete. Paraclete. Para, with, cleat, strength. I tie my boat up to a cleat, strength. It's anchored. I'll send you a paraclete. I'll send you one with strength. Paraclete means with you. It's that, oh, does anybody in here watch Braveheart? Yes. I got the guys. Thank God I got the guys. You know, the blood, guts, gory. She leaves the room because it's like, Ugh. But you've seen it where it's battle buddies. You got one here and one here, and he got a sword and I got a sword, and we move like this, and it's just, we're fighting. That's what it means to have a paraclete, somebody that's with you with strength. And if, if one dies, the other one's going to die because we're going down together. I'll march with you. I'll be your battle partner. Your enemy will be my enemy. Your people be my people. I'm not going anywhere. I, and I won't be outside. I'll be on the inside, strengthening you with might. Deuteronomy 20. I love Deuteronomy 20. Same, same area. He goes, okay, boys, we got to go to war. Any of you build a house? Yeah, I got, just got done last week. Well, you ought to live in it. You stay home and enjoy your refrigerator. Any, anybody here got, got married? Well, you don't want to leave her now. Go home. Go enjoy. How many of you put in a vineyard? Wouldn't be terrible for, that vine, for you not to be able to eat them grapes as you go home. You know, aren't you sitting there going, wish I'd have built a house? <laughs> right? Or, dang, I was going to ask her. You know, you're thinking, and, you know, about... 40% of them went home because they had a wife, a house, a car. And, and then he goes, Any, anybody here afraid? <laughs> and he goes, oh, dude, there's no sense for you to sweat this. Just go home. Now there's five old men there. And they're standing there and he goes, we got this because the battle belongs to the Lord. And if you built a house, if you got a wife, if you got a vineyard, or if you're just scared, that's all right. Because this is my battle. I promised to take care of you. So you just go home. I go. David shouts that at Goliath. I come at you in the name of the Lord God Almighty because the battle is the Lord's and it's not mine. I only got a rag or a rock, but you don't understand my covenant partner is God Almighty and he will be faithful to me. It's all the way through that book. I don't believe in the Old Testament. You're silly. You're silly. You're missing some of the best stories there are. David just comes running at him, and Goliath goes down, bam. See, every giant, every river, every mountain is an opportunity for God to stand up and go, I'm faithful to the run. I'm faithful to the skunk. I'm faithful to every man, woman. Oh, yeah. What's going on in 2020? This is a great time for God to stand up and say, Those are mine. They ain't got no faith. Pastor, don't you know that when you wear that mask, you're just not showing faith in God. You just, you, you just have, no, you have no faith. Don't you know people taking away your rights? Listen to me. I think what it is is a, is a marker of, I'm weak. I'm weak. I ain't got a lot of faith. But great is thy faithfulness. 
You don't understand. I don't have to prove how faithful I am. In fact, when I'm weak, he reveals his faithfulness. Are you listening to me? Some of you got it backwards. And if you need that explanation, ask grandma. <laughs> backwards. This, this whole book is a story of his faithfulness. I love the way the psalm says, he's a shield and a lifter. He's my strength. He's my helper. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. Are you all the way through here? I can face the pressures of life because I've got a high tower, a shelter from the storm. He is the shield and the sword. He is my fighter. He rises up against those who rise up against me. I have a covenant partner, and he's faithful. Wait, see, we don't understand the context. The Gibeonites did. Remember the Gibeonites? Gibeonites, they, 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 they were deceitful. They were tricksters. They were living over there on the hill. They saw Joshua coming into the land, and they had heard about what God did for the, the Israelites as they came across the sea. Forty years ago they heard it. And, and so they put on their worst clothes, shoes, cut them all up put dirt and ashes on them got, and, and come hobbling over. Look like some of my grandkids. Oh, Papa. Walked up, to, walked up to Joshua and said, oh, nobody likes us. All the other people in the promised land, they don't like us. They've mistreated us. We're from far away. But we've heard you're a strong people. We've heard about your God. We've heard about that covenant and won't you make covenant with us? And Joshua didn't pray. And sometimes people can be bragging on you and you forget to pray. Sometimes they just feed your ego and you forget to pray. And, and so he made covenant with them. They hobbled back over the desert, over the hill. Look what we did, boys. We have new blood brothers. They went over the hill. Gibeonites had put on their Sunday best. Pitched their tents. They were deceitful, lying people. But they were in covenant with Joshua. And Joshua was in covenant with God. And now the other tribes come and attack the Gibeonites. They go, hey, 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 we're in covenant. And they what are we going to do, Joshua? And Joshua, there's only one thing to do. Fight for them. Fight for them. Listen, America, you need to quit fighting against other Americans. Listen, Christians, you need to quit fighting against other Christians. You need to shut up and fight for them. Because guess what? The greatest miracle of the Old Testament takes place the day that Joshua fought for the Gibeonites. The sun stood still. Why? So that God could save a bunch of deceitful, lying people. But they were in covenant with God. God fought for the Gibeonites just like he would fight for his own people because his people had made covenant. His people had befriended other people. Even been deceived by the... But because I'm a friend with God, whoever I befriend here, God will fight. You know what evangelism is? It sure isn't getting them to believe what I believe. It's about me befriending people that don't deserve to be befriended. Because when you go sit with sinners and tax collectors and adulterers, guess what? Am I making any sense to you? 
This has changed the world. We could, we could advance instead of retreat just by befriending other people. Notice how quiet it gets in this evangelical Pentecostal. Ah, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I know. All the way through the book, it talks about how his loving kindness will never fail. I mean, David, this David, takes down Goliath, also commits murder, that stone. Also commits adultery, oh, stone. But David goes around the law. He goes around it. He, he, he goes around it and he says, look, I, I know what the law says. But I also know who you are. I know what the law says, but I know who you are. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. I know what the law says. I'm not appealing to the law for justice. I'm appealing to you. I'm throwing myself on your love, on your mercy. And David said, I know you can't help yourself. You'll never, you get what David does a thousand years before the cross, a thousand years before there's a new covenant, there's God who loves and David reaches around the law and goes, have mercy on me. And he got it. He got it. Create in me a clean heart. Cast me not away from thy presence. Listen to me, you fundamentalist. You don't get it. You've been duped by sinners in the hand of an angry God, which is really sinners in the hand of an angry evangelist. That's all it is. Forgive me. And God forgives him. He says, that's a man after my heart. He's not a man after his heart because he was not a sinner. He's a man after his heart because he knew what to do with his sin. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, is what David would write, whose transgressions are not imputed unto him. David stood there and said, God! And God said, that's a man who knows what to value. David understood the covenant that God was faithful to that. David. David, the shepherd boy, comes into the king's palace. And the Bible says, Jonathan, the son of the king, and David, the shepherd boy's hearts were knit together. And the next verse says, and they cut covenant one with the other. What I am is who you are. What you have is what I have. You, my weapons are your weapons. Your Jonathan literally gave up his princedom to the shepherd boy. And the shepherd boy now is next in line to the throne. Wow. Because they honored this covenant. Jonathan never lost his relationship with his father, would die next to Saul. Saul, the king of the people. Not the king of God. The king of the people. People are always wanting to elevate Saul. God will show up and elevate a shepherd boy. Hmm, you don't want to get me going. And Saul and Jonathan die. David, through the course of years, becomes king. Everything's settled. He's found mercy. Second Samuel chapter 9. 
David's walking through all of that. And he said, is there anyone left to whom of Saul's house I could show him loving kindness, covenant faithfulness? Isn't there? See, when you have been forgiven, when you have received the loving kindness of God, when you have received the mercy of God, it is like a geyser, a well. It is like a pressure cooker on the inside. And, and you, you go, I got to give this away. I spent the last 30 plus years of my life going, I have been forgiven so much. I got to tell you that it's not by works, but it's by his grace. Where, where do I give this away? And they said, well, Mephibosheth lives down there in Lodabar, no pasture. John, who's, who's Mephibosheth? Well, Jonathan had a son. Jonathan has a son? Yeah, he was about four, maybe five, when Jonathan and Saul died. And the servants, the nannies that were taking care of Mephibosheth, they told him how mean you are. They told him what a warring king you are. They, they, they told him that you would kill him to protect your place on the throne. They told him you were angry. And so the servants, the nannies, the people around him picked him up and ran him down to Lodabar. And he's down there and he's crippled. He can't walk because they dropped him. He's paralyzed in fear. And he's living in retreat because he heard you were angry with him. He heard that if you ever came before him, he would judge you. And David said, what? Go get that boy. Bring that, bring that boy back up here. And Mephibosheth falls at his feet and starts going, oh my God, this is the great judgment. I'm going to go to hell. God's mad. God's angry. And God goes, oh, David goes, what do you mean? I had a covenant with your father. And my word to your father was that I would be loving kind to him and to his descendants. And Mephibosheth, religion lied to you. The servants lied to you. God's not angry at you. He has always been merciful and kind. He's the one that walked in the covenant and he doesn't need you. He'll swore by himself. Mephibosheth. They lied. Church. We've been deceived. For about 300 years, the evangelical fundamental church has been lied to. Hiding down there, living below our covenant rights. Boom. Mephibosheth, I'll give you everything back to belong to grandpa and to your dad. But you ain't even going to need it. Because I'm going to put my robe on you. I'm going to put my rings on you. and I see you're crippled, but they'll carry you to my table every day. And you'll eat from my table. Because you're like a son to me. Do, do you get this? This is David. He knew the kindness of God. Christians, brothers, sisters, you need to get your brain fixed. 
You need to call to remembrance this great love affair that God has for his people. And that he didn't need you to make that covenant. He didn't need you to fulfill that covenant. You start judging other people and you're out. That's the only thing that gets you out. If you start taking his grace and making fun of it. Man, this is overwhelming to me. When this began to grip my heart 30-some years ago, I thought, why would anybody be wasting time about five steps to this and three steps to that and four steps? I, I, don't, I don't get it. I, I, can, I can imagine. What, what do you think you're doing here? Do, who do you think you are, Phoebe? What, what, do you, what makes you think you can sit at this table? Trust me, this robe on my back, I didn't deserve it. Trust me, I, I wear it in honor and respect to the one that gave it to me. I'll tell you why I have it. Look at the king's wrist. There's a scar right there. My daddy had one of them. I remember that. I was but a babe, but I remember my dad had a scar like that. The king has a scar like that. And that scar and that scar, they came from the same place because they were blood brothers. I'm sitting here because of a covenant that my dad had with the king. Oh, you're not listening to me. Because of that scar, because of that cross, because of that love that knows no restrictions and no conditions, I eat out of a golden plate today. That's the reason I have this robe. Because of a promise made in the Godhead between the Father and the Son before time began. Before there ever was a creation, God swore to God. And he made man so that he could reveal that his word is true. And then when he promised Adam that one would come, and he promised Abraham, and he promised Moses, and he promised David that Jesus came. And he walked through that covenant on his own without you and without me. And by grace through faith, we are saved this morning. And he carries us into his presence every day of our lives. And Jeremiah knew it. And Jeremiah was going, I'm sick. I'm tired. I'm lamenting. I'm without strength. I have lost all hope. I'm robbed. Oh, but I remember thy loving kindness is forever and thy faithfulness never fails. So I'll sit in this moment of 2020 and know that God is working something greater than I've ever imagined because he is faithful to keep his word to me every morning. So whatever today is, the 26th of July, 2020, there must be loving kindness for today. God must be going to be faithful to us today. Wow. Now the argument about how much faith you got kind of doesn't matter. Well, I woke up scared twice last night, but then I remembered. Right? I complained for 10 or 12 minutes yesterday, and then I remembered. <laughs> oh, come on. I was human. I was human. I, I lost my mind. And then I grabbed hold of it again. Pulled it back. 
<laughs> so in nineteen twenty-three, guy from Marion, Kansas. Right after that plague, right, right, right after World War One, guy wrote this. And when I was a little boy, we used to sing it. We don't sing it much anymore. Used to. It's a great old song. I wished, wished I could sing it. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. No shadow of turning with thee. Thou changes not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou has been, thou ever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord. Maybe you ought to go sing some old songs. Maybe you need to remember some ancient covenants. Maybe instead of trying to figure out your new thing, Maybe you ought to remember that the old thing still stands. And until you have that understanding, any new thing you do. (laughs) How do you live in the middle of troubled times? You lean in on his loving kindness. You lean in on his tender mercy. You, You lean in on his faithfulness. That's what you do. That's the only way through it in 2020. Well, I just wish it'd be over. He just wishes you'd grow up. He just wishes you'd mature. In fact, that's why we're going through some of this, so we mature. So that, hmm. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto Lord, I thank you that you have been loving and kind and covenant-keeping from the beginning. That it's just gotten better and better as it rolled over into the new. That, Lord, you sent your paraclete, your spirit into our hearts that we are never alone. I pray this morning that the simplicity of my talking might have caused us to recover the reality of your loving kindness and your faithfulness to us. Lord, I pray for my friends who are in isolation this morning out of waiting on a test. I I pray that, Father God, the test is negative. I pray this morning for my friends who have tested positive. I pray.
pray for their healing. Lord, I pray for Marissa, nurses that I know. I pray for Patrick, doctors that I know. I pray that, Father, you would protect them as they care for my friends. I pray that, Father God, we would step out of the ethereal and step into this, the specific. Touch Daniel, Healy's heart. Lord, be with Charles. Just be with Jolene. Lord, this morning, let your faithfulness be known wherever they're at and whatever they're doing. Lord, I pray for people seated in this room. They're afraid, scared, worried, oppressed, need a job, just need healing in their body. Lord, I don't have to shout. I don't have to run around. I just ask you to be faithful to them according to your loving kindness. Reach out and touch marriages, teenagers, children. Let hope arise. Anybody in this room just agree with me a little bit? Just agree with me a little bit. Just pray right there under your... Pray in tongues, pray in tongues. If you pray in English, pray in English. If you pray in Swahili, I don't care. Just pray. Thank you, Jesus. For being faithful to our community. Lord, be with that family that lost a loved one this week in Hutchinson from this virus. Be with them. Comfort them. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Father's House. We hope you stay connected by following us online at fathershouse.net. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at TFH Hutch.